tuned in to underdog talk podcast i'm your host eric jones jr the underdog with heroic heart on this podcast i have conversations with successful underdogs and today we have another successful underdog um from chicago illinois if you don't know where chicago is i have the host of the read podcast john moore how's it going sir i'm good how you doing I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, first question, though, how is the weather uh, up there? Well, Chicago is a bipolar city. Right now, it's probably like four degrees. Mm. Yeah, it's, that, uh, that, yeah, that don't sound fun at all. Man, I'm about <laughs> tired of it. I can't wait to move. I feel you. See, I'm from um, Michigan City, Indiana, so it's close there. Right. So we got the same kind of winter. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana now, so it's not the same. We haven't got snow. I know y'all got snow, and I don't like snow because people don't know how to draw. It just be it just make the whole like season messed up because people here in Indiana don't know how to drive. I know I know in Chicago y'all are um, fast and furious drivers. You know yeah. the fast stuff didn't bother me. It's just the ignorance, man. It's, it's getting ridiculous. I, I totally understand. So we're gonna get right on into it. So you grew up in Chicago. Um, what was it like as a child, like growing up, growing up in that environment? Because sometimes people hear on the news, they get a, you know, perception of how it was, but how was it actually living there growing up and what kind of environment were you in? So my family, my family comes from Cabrini Green. My dad, my dad's side of the family. My dad was actually born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Then my dad's mom and their family, they moved from from Little Rock, Arkansas, up to Cabrini Green in Chicago. My mom, my mom's mom, my grandma, she's from Alabama, and she moved up from Alabama during the Great Migration when everybody came north. She moved from there to Cabrini. So that's kind of how I was conceived in public housing. I didn't live in Cabrini my whole life, but I was always there, and I still got family there to this day. Um, I lived there, another public housing project, and on the west side of Chicago. But my roots started in Cabrini. And I know the news media tells you one thing, like how you said, but when I was living there and, you know, I spent a lot of, like even when I moved out, I still spent a lot of my weekends and summers there. I was sheltered there and I never really got into a whole lot of trouble while, you know, I was in public housing. And actually, I didn't start having brushes with the law and stuff like that until I moved to the west side of Chicago. Mm. Um, but Cabrini was a Fun place to live. We had we had a lot of activity, a lot of things to do, um, a lot of challenges. One of the things um, that was most enjoyable, Cabrini was only probably about four or five blocks from the downtown area. It was literally smack middle in the Gold Coast Lincoln Park area. You can really, from the building I lived in, you can throw a rock from the building and it can hit downtown. Like we could run from the building and be on Michigan Avenue. It was that close. So Chicago had a lot of housing projects, but Cabrini was synonymous, of course, because of the crime. But it was also synonymous because of the proximity of all these rich areas that are surrounded. So he provided a, uh, a layer of learning 
and a layer of experience that you can get nowhere else because of where it was located. Like seconds from a lakefront, you know, the shopping areas, you know, the metro areas. And then it was, you know, this, these big red and white depressing buildings in the middle of all of that. So it was a fun experience. Understand, understand. And I definitely know, like, going to Chicago, it's fun. Like, growing up, I'm, um, I didn't start going until, like, late 90s, early 2000s when I was, like, in high school, middle school and stuff. Where I remember, like, it's, it was fun. It's, like you said, it's a learn. Like, you learn by living there because you could go down the street and it's violence, it's different stuff going on, but you go the other way, it's beautiful. You get to see all the stuff that you need to see. And it's like, wow, it's like, it's beautiful. It's, it's a different perspective. Cause sometimes when you live in the projects, you just got the projects. You don't got nothing else. You don't got, you know, you ain't going down the street, see nothing beautiful. You gotta go visit a family member across town or whatever. Uh, what side of town is that on? Well, Cabrini, like I said, Cabrini is, literally four blocks from downtown like so, okay. it's literally right there it's right okay. there and so isn't, isn't the uh go ahead go ahead I no, i'm listening you. i'm listening uh isn't the united center close to there or it was no so united center is west it's on the west side of chicago now the united center is in the middle of other housing projects that's right by uh united center is near henry horner projects and it's okay. near um Another housing projects. They they're they look similar to Cabrini, but they're more low rise. Um okay. but for years, the reason why Chicago could never get an all-star game, because United <laughs> Center Chicago Stadium was right on Madison across from the projects and the liquor store. That's all that was there. There was nothing else there. So that area is just starting to, you know, look better than what it used to be. Unfortunately, a lot of the black folks been pushed out. But yeah, it was projects all over there too. Okay, yeah, I, I knew it was a, a project by the United Center. Okay, yeah. So you you sound like you had the environment that could have took you left. You could have been um, going to jail, getting into the drugs, all those different things, but you didn't. It doesn't sound like you went that route. So what what route did you go, and who did? Was there somebody guiding you? Was it somebody like, hey? This is the direction you need to go. Don't go, you know, the direction of the, where where you from. So I was kind of the child that had one foot in and one foot out. And I look back and, like, my mom was addicted to drugs. Like, she's probably been clean probably a year or two years. She was addicted for, like, 25, 30 years. Um, but I had a father who was shredding narrow who taught me a lot of things. Now... There's some things he missed, but he did his best. So I had the best of both worlds, having a mother who was victim to the system and who had a father who taught me about white supremacy and taught me how to be a young black man in America. A lot of other kids didn't have that. Um, and I had my grandmother, my mom's mom, who she was involved in politics in the 70s, and she was already kind of paving that way before I was even born. Um, there were a lot of people that were instrumental in my upbringing, like I said, in Cabrini, we had a lot of youth programs. You know, I, we had more youth programs than any other place in the city of Chicago. So there were positive things to do on that end. And when you look at how the public welfare system just traumatized black folks in the 70s, it took down our sense of organization. 
So by the time I came around, the street gangs were kind of up in arms, but I distinctly remember gang chiefs telling us, like, man, if I ever catch you anywhere near this, we're going we gonna to mess you up. Like, you go that way. You know, so we had a lot of people, even though we had negative stuff, there was a lot of people that was kind of keeping us, you know, because I was kind of one of those kids where I was never peer pressure into anything. I liked adrenaline. I liked drama. So the stuff I got into, I did because I wanted to do it, not because somebody pressured me into doing it. And the crazy part is, the generation before us that raised us, they didn't understand that kids needed therapy, which is why you see what you see now from some of the generations because they never got that trauma checked. And my trauma was never really checked till later on because the parents just didn't know. Like my dad, he managed two, he managed two nursing homes where he was in charge of the mental welfare and being of people who had mental conditions. You know, he got paid to do that, but he didn't he didn't get his his son no therapy. So he just didn't know. And even though my grandma got me involved. When I became a teenager, when I was 13, I got my first summer job working in City Hall. So that opened me up to a whole new world of things. And you would think that if you get a get a kid that young summer jobs and get him involved in things that no other teenager can get into, that he would be straight. That wasn't the case. So. I got a summer job when I was 13, had a summer job when I was 14, had a summer job when I was 15, had a summer job when I was 16, and caught a case when I was 16 on top of all of that. You know, mm. so I kind of had one foot in, one foot in, and one foot out. And I caught that case on the west side of Chicago where it was no type of organization. The west side of Chicago is the wild, wild west. It always has been. You had those certain blocks that was cool, but they didn't have those youth and community programs like how the public housing had. So on Friday night, you know, or some of them nights when the public libraries closed or the park dishes closed, you out in the street. Right. And so it's just, it ain't hard to mess up. And I caught a felony case at 16 years old while having a government job. Mm. Mm. Wow. I got, I got a few questions from that. Oh, yeah. That's so, so my first question um, is how was it being 13 and in, into politics? Like, cause I know for me, I personally never really cared about politics, never understood it until I became an adult. Cause I thought it's just, Oh, the president, you know, the people, you know, the people in, in your uh, neighborhoods or whatever. I remember kind of like you were saying earlier, it's like the older people that yeah, steer you right or whatever. You had people that were of power or of politics. You just thought they were somebody from the neighborhood or something like that. You didn't really understand. But so as a teenager, 13, you live in Chicago, your friends, they playing sports, they doing all the fun stuff. You going to work at City Hall. How was that and what kind of experience did you get from that? So... I'm here. I am now. I'm 37. So I'm over. I'm over almost 25 years. Uh, I still work for the state now. 25 years into it, and um, I was completely open to it at 13. Because here I am. I'm still playing sports too. But between the hours of nine and five, I'm in the office while everybody else probably still sleep or chilling. And I loved it because it opened me up to a whole new world of things that I never knew existed in Chicago. It's a political city. It's so political. I think when it comes to 
organizations in terms of the, the mafia, the gangs and politics, it's all intertwined. Like New York has it one way, LA has it one way, but Chicago is all mixed in. So come from Cabrini, Cabrini was a political, uh, it had political dominance because of the proximity to where it was. So a lot of prominent politicians came out of there. And the Young Democrats, uh, you have the Young Republicans too, but the Young Democrats was an organization uh, that was built to, it was built for, on the national level, it was built for elitists, but on the local level, it was built to pull kids in to expose them to other things. And it was built to pull kids off the street, you know? And that's how I came about. And so I'm 13, I'm making, you know, $400, $500 every two weeks. Like, so I'm the, when you, that not a, back then it was a lot of money, ain't a whole lot of money now, but when you 13, it's a lot of money. So you basically essentially the plug for the block. Like, who got that kind of money ain't selling drugs? You know, got, you know, got work on the street, you know? So I'm 13 in the mall, you know, I'm buying shoes for me and shoes for the homies, you know? Because yeah. I didn't, not only am I getting a check, I got my legitimate side hustles that I got. So it it gave me a sense of, it gave me exposure and it gave me uh, something to build on. And what it also does is it exposes you to how dirty the system is, right? Because we all know that. And so I saw all sides of it from a street perspective and from a legal perspective. And the problem is it was kind of a double-edged sword because when, like I told you, when I turned 16, I ended up getting a job back then the secretary of state, the DMV, they gave summer jobs to kids in high school, student working positions. And you were allowed to work in a facility that processed driver's license while you were in school. So I did that. And a lot of power comes with that because when you're in that position that young, everybody wants you. And, <laughs> That comes with a government credential. I had a, a ID that said, you know, Illinois Worker Secretary of State with my picture on there. My name on it was an official piece of piece of paper. And, you know, I was driving at 16. There was times I get pulled over. The police see that. They let me go right away. So that goes to your head. So when I was out running around on the west side thinking I was untouchable, I got caught up in some something I wasn't even supposed to be involved in and caught mm. a case. Luckily, I didn't lose my job because I played it right but that just goes to show you when you really don't have control on your, on your, on your kids, they'll run. And so I had people around me, my uncle, my grandma, my mom was still shrunk out. By the time I was 16, I was kind of detached from my dad. So I didn't see him a lot, but my uncle and my grandma, they were positive, but they didn't have the energy to keep up with a 16 year old. Cause I moved real fast. So I was kind of, I was making money, you know, I was 13, making four, 500 every two weeks. Now I'm 16. I'm pulling that in double the job Ooh. I got. So uh, that's kind of what it was. Great learning experience. Um, and I wouldn't change it. Totally. I totally get that, what you were saying. Like, being young, you got the money. Like, Especially at that age, like I think for me, my my friends, we got a job around 15, 16, but being 13 yeah, and making a couple hundred dollars, I, I totally understand it going to your head then you 
you like, hey, I work for the government. I ain't even going to get in trouble. Ain't even nothing going to happen to me because I'm cool. And you got that. And then you got you you got beside yourself. You uh, What they say, they give you an inch, you took a mile. And then, you know, luckily nothing major happened to you, but that was a learning lesson for you. Like, hey, it don't matter that I got this or I work here. I still can get in trouble. And I think sometimes young people, they – they might be like, oh, well, my mom or is this person or my dad is this person or, you know, my uncle, he a, he a police officer, whatever the case may be. And they think they can get out of it and they still do stuff that they're not supposed to do. And it takes for sometimes to just get smacked on the hand, might get punched in the mouth. You might got to sit down. You might got to, you know, do some time, whatever it is. I think as young as a young person, you you went about it and you. You only you only got a slap on the hand and that lets you know like all right that ain't even for me I ain't even about to go down that road I'm gonna keep it moving so as you know you got in trouble at 16 you still got your job so you like in high school you you know somewhere between a sophomore and a senior what's what's your goals what you thinking about going into school for did you have um Hoop dreams? Did you have? Oh, I'm gonna be a politician. Like, what was your mindset going in from working in the politician, but still being from around the way? And when I caught that case, that was life changing because now, let me back up. What it showed me was how racist the system was. And the mm. night I got arrested, they looked at the system and saw where I worked. So I'm like, oh, they finna let me go. So it was a lieutenant. He came in. This is what he told me. He says, you ain't going nowhere. You said, he said, my daughter needed a summer job, a student worker job. She couldn't get one. Here you is. You're going down. He told me just like that. And what it was, was they could have charged. They could have, they could have said, you know what? Y'all cut it out. Y'all go home. Y'all go this way. It could have been as simple as that. To me, that's real policing when you're dealing with kids. They charged us with strong arm robbery and battery, the maximum for what had happened. And I got so big-headed that night, I still could have got away. But what happened was I had to drop. So what happened was when you're 16 in Illinois, you could possess a, a firearms card. So I had a firearms card, and we all had guns on us that night. But my generation, we liked to fight. We never just really pulled no guns out. We had them on us just in case, but that was never the first option. So that night, we all were strapped. So... um. Man, some long story short, some dudes got beat out of their shoes. And I kind of walked into it. But when you out there running around, you're guilty by association. You got to help. So after it was all said and done, I was like, man, give me all the pieces. So I took them to uh, because what it was was Chicago had had Chicago had gang wars, but Chicago Mm. had race wars. So Mm. there's a lot of times it was blacks versus Mexicans all over the uh, Chicago. So that happened that night. So I was like, all right, I need these guns because the police come. We 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 cooked. So I, I got the guns. I took them to a spot to some Puerto Rican homies that was a little further north. And one of the dudes that we beat up, he had a bike. So I took his bike to get to get away fast. So instead of dropping the pieces off and, and keep going, I dropped the stuff off and come back towards the crime scene. And that's how I got caught. Damn. So at that point, I'm in school. I'm trying to play ball, but I can't focus because it's some real gang stuff going on, and I'm in the middle of it. And 
these cats, they wasn't liking me. I was calculated. That's why I was able to stay out of trouble for so long. Some of the cats that I was running with already had two babies, three cases. You know what I'm saying? I ain't had none of that. And I was still kind of around the element of trouble while I'm going to court every month. And I'm on home confinement. So now I got I can't even be involved in a lot of extracurricular activities because the judge put me on pre-trial home confinement. I had to be in the house by like 4.30, 5 o'clock. And I'm like, man, that's my first case. Like, what's like, what's up? And I, I realized then they trying to slam me. So while I was going to court, man, long story short, they were sending me offers. The probation officer checking on me at school. I'm getting into other stuff and I'm trying not to get in. Uh, I had a lawyer. He was a Jewish guy. And they always say you're the Jewish lawyer. But this lawyer happened to be a public defender also. I just got lucky and got assigned to him. And he was like, hey, Jarrell, we're going to beat this case. Because the description of them is a black male with a black headband. We had a high school homecoming football game. Everybody got that on. This this 2001. So, yeah. man, I look up like 90 days later. I call down to the juvenile detention center to talk to my attorney. He got fired. Wow. They, just, they like removed him off my case with no questions asked. So I look up. They send me this black attorney. Before he even introduced himself, he's like, man, you need to plead guilty. I'm like, man, hold on. I've been fighting this case 90 days. You don't even know my name or nothing. You ain't looking me in the eye. That's the first thing you're telling me. Right? And I was essentially, man, my own Johnny Cochran because I ain't had nobody in my corner. My mom was shrunk out. My dad, I was surprised of because my dad was real pro-black and real, like, militant growing up. Yeah. When he saw the situation I was in, he completely did a 360. Like, he was scared, and I ain't had no fear. I'm like, man, get out of here. I'm not pleading guilty. Five years probation, me being 16 where I'm from, 16 to 21, I'm bound to get in trouble. I ain't never taken that deal. And I tell guys all the time, when you in interrogation, close your mouth. Because I, I could have snitched. I took the case, though. Because I knew they ain't really had nothing. And I got rid of the guns already. So I'm like, I'm good. You know? So, but they slammed me. And I end up, long story short, I end up taking, they end up giving me, I pled guilty, but on my terms and conditions. So I end up pleading guilty to two years probation with a condition, anger management, and some other little other uh, community service type stuff. And I played the system, basically. Because I knew like, I, I needed to move on with my life, and it set me back. Even pleading guilty early, taking an early deal, it set me back so many years. And mm. this is what I learned from that. I pled guilty on my after my 17th birthday. Uh, mm. My probation officer was real cool. On my 18th birthday, I went back to court for motion. She told the judge, like, look, this ain't one of them type of guys. I knew how to carry myself. I never wore my pants off my ass. I knew how to play the role. She was like, look, this is not one of the guys we need to be on. He's good. He's committed. He's completed all his post-trial stuff. In no world do probation officers, especially as white, motion to a judge to release a black kid off probation. So I got released a year early off probation because I knew how to play the game. So I got off probation my on my rap a week after my 18th birthday. So I'm thinking I'm good. I still got my job at Secretary of State. I got my my second job at Foot Locker. My background is clear because ain't nothing showing up. And I got a felony. So 
And I'm still carrying weapons and stuff through all this time, not even knowing. So when I was 21, I went to renew my firearms card. I got a nice little letter from state police that told me I was denied. It's 2005. And I wasn't eligible to get a firearms card for 10 years because of my background. Wow. And that's when it hit me. So luckily, I did some legal research. There's a provision in Illinois law that says if you're adjudicated with a felony when you're 16, you're exempt. I got lucky. If I was 17, I'd have been done. So I was exempt from that law. And as long as your case was five years after your last court date, you could get your record fully expunged. So I got my record fully expunged in January of 2009. So it has to be five years after your last court date. My last court date was March of 2003. So I finally got a full expungement in January of 2009. So this is what happens with that. I had a, a juvenile record and an adult record. You can't get your juvenile record until your adult. You can't get your adult record expunged until your juvenile record is expunged. Right? So I had the oh. felony, juvenile felony, robbery. And I had a, a misdemeanor trespass as, a, as an adult. It was nothing. It was thrown out. So I go to court. I got my three-piece Armani suit on. I play the role. Um, I go into juvenile court. The sheriff, he comes out. He calls my name. I said, right here. And he, like, ignores me. I'm like, I'm right here, Jarrell Reed. And he thought I was the attorney because of the suit I had on. He didn't know I was the defendant. He's like, oh, correct this way. So... I go in, white judge is a black prosecutor. I filed my own paperwork, my own motion. I didn't have no attorney or nothing. Paid the fee. I went in. The judge was like, well, I'm inclined to give you a full expungement. The black prosecutor was like, I am. She went against it. She was like, well, the nature of this offense, he was like, I remember her name, name was Janice. He was like, Janice, this kid is in a three-piece Armani suit. He got a government job. He ain't been in trouble since. The probation officer even motioned for his probation and release early. I'm giving him a full expungement. Done. <laughs> so when I was exiting the courtroom, I called her a bitch. I'm like, you black bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so right after that, I went to adult court. I went to adult court, which is at Cook County Jail, and I motioned to get my adult record expunged. Because now I'm trying to get in law enforcement and start carrying guns. Legally. So... I get in there, a white judge, his name was Paul Beeble, and it was a Hispanic prosecutor. So they, the, the prosecutor, before I go in front of the judge, he calls me and says, hey, you can't get this record expunged, even though it's misdemeanor, you can't get this expunged until your juvenile record is expunged. I said, it's done already. I gave her the paperwork. I said, it was done an hour ago. I had went over, I ran to the courthouse soon as it was done. She was like, oh, that's Judge Terrence Sharkey. He was the judge that trained me. I'm like, yeah. So I gave her the paperwork. I went before that judge for the adult record, got it expunged. So I kind of fast forwarded a lot to kind of keep the time down. But that took almost six years out of my life waiting to get my record expunged when I could have been doing other stuff. You know, there were times when I was probation, I snuck out of town. You know, I was across state lines. Like it takes, even though I wasn't in jail or doing prison time, being on paper, it takes a whole lot out of you. And I was lucky enough as I knew how to maneuver the system and work the system a little bit because I those summer jobs exposed me to all of that, being around lawyers and judges and cops and stuff like that. So I knew how to talk they talk, even though I knew the street stuff too. You know, So I tell young guys that all the time, man, no matter what circumstances you come from, 
If you know how to carry yourself, you can get out a whole lot, you know. So that's kind of what my teenage years and my young adult years was. I couldn't play ball even though I had the talent because I was, you know, wrapped up in a lot of other stuff. But I wouldn't change that that aspect of it other than getting in trouble. Definitely. I definitely understood that. And I'm glad you I'm glad you like explain that because it's a lot of younger guys. They oh, yeah, I got locked up. Oh, yeah. they You know, they brag on being or doing stuff. But you don't understand the process of that paperwork on your head. It's not they, cool at all. They can control you. They can tell you when you can do this, when you can do that. You didn't even, like you said, you wasn't really even in trouble. It's just that it was there and you had to go through that whole process, wasting time, going Money, there. Make, thousands of dollars. I, oh, yeah. It, it's it's a couple hundred when you ain't even getting in trouble. I got uh, arrested when I was 19 years old. Uh, for ABC violation, it was a couple hundred dollars to get that and all this stuff. And it's like they they want us to to be in the system. They want to have control of us. They want to say, "Oh, you on probation? Oh, you got to wear this ankle monitor or whatever." Like I know a young dude. He just this is crazy. Like he just got in trouble for particularly the same thing you got in trouble for. A little worse. He he's six. I think he's seventeen. They're trying to try him as an adult. And it's like they're trying him in his, as an adult. This is first offense. They're going to try to hand him everything unless he has the right people or like you did. You he you research. It's now we're in 2022. You can research. Like easy. everything is accessible. It's easy. Google. Like, and it's not even that you're doing anything wrong. Like sometimes people make you think that looking up information is wrong. No, I'm trying to figure out if y'all telling me this right information, because if y'all not, then I can get out of here a little quicker. I can, yep. you know. So I like that even as a young person, the things I took from that, you was exposed to the right people, even though the people didn't look like you, you was exposed to knowledge that helped you when you actually got in trouble. But you also did the research because they was like, oh, well, we're going to just throw him somebody. Oh, hold on. He got a Jew, a Jewish. We know how they run. Uh-uh. Like, take him off there. Take, go give him somebody that just just working to be working and you had to go and research your family like no nah, man go, you know you about to be guilty they ain't even you know no nah, whatever and you did it upon yourself to make sure that you were able to not i mean you was in trouble but not to get in so much trouble that you weren't able to do anything even though you was in that environment because sometimes when you're in that environment you you got one foot in and one foot out but the foot that's in is on the wrong end and that'll mess you up in the long run. And I'm so glad that you were able to to go through that but understand what you had to do. You understood, hey, I messed up. Let me not do that again. But let me look up some information because this just don't sound right to me that I'm just about to get in all this type of trouble and this is my first time. So you explained that, you know, that's your early childhood, uh, not early childhood, early adulthood, your teenage years. So now you 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 good. You, everything clear, you know, you 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 know, you're able to get your firearms, whatever you're doing. So now what are you doing? Are you did you take um did you take the politics and run with it or did so you So I ended up taking the politics and running with it and that's something I look back on because when I was 18, like I said I was 18, my record wasn't expunged yet. But I end up getting a part-time job. I was playing junior college ball, but I end up getting a part-time job at Foot Locker. 
And the crazy part about it is, you know, I always wanted to work in, in, in shoe sales. I had been trying to get in Foot Locker my whole life, even when I had the summer jobs. And no black people would help me. It took a white guy, my, one of my mentors, he went to Moody Bible, which is a Christian college. It was right two blocks from Cabrini. And that's how I met him. But he worked at Foot Locker. He used to hook me up all the time. And I remember when he was graduating, he hooked me up and he got me on. And I ended up working at Foot Locker. And so I came at the right time. I was at a corporate store. I was 18 years old. And I, I'm 37. And right now I got a lot of energy. Then my energy level was ridiculous. So I ended up becoming a stock manager in, in like four months. No sales experience, no stock experience. I ain't even 19 years old yet. And a lot of people was hating on me that had worked that had been there, you know, years. So I ended up becoming a stock manager. I'm 18 years old. I'm in charge of a million dollars worth of stock. I still got my little job at Secretary of State. I'm still involved in politics a little bit, but that was my moneymaker. So in 2004, Foot, Act, Foot Locker acquired the rights to Foot Action. They bought Foot Action in 04. And I remember, I'm like, look, if I stay here, I'm not going to last long because people are already looking for my demise and my managers that hired me about to be promoted. So my first manager became the DM. So now I don't, even act, I don't have access to him no more. And then my other manager, he had been there like 20 years, so he on the way out to be promoted too. And they brought in, they bought Foot Action. So Foot Action is going to bring all the employees over and they finna be on some straight up political gangster stuff on these, on these shoe sales. So I said, <laughs> I if I don't know. get out of here now or try to get promoted myself, I'm going to get screwed. So I had an interview at Nike. Nike was going to pull me in, but Nike wanted me to start at the bottom. And my ego, once again, my ego was like, man, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm the stock manager at Foot Locker. I can, I can work the sales floor when I want to. I'm meeting celebrities like Jada Kiss. He came and bought 20 pair of Force Ones, like Kirk Heinrich, Dwayne Wade, all these people I'm meeting, and I'm in charge of all this stock. And I should have just quit and went to Nike. I stayed loyal to Foot Locker. I stayed loyal to Foot Locker and ended up quitting anyway because I saw what was going to happen. So Nike tried to get me, recruit me like two more other times. Because I was so far into politics, I turned them down. And I shouldn't have did that because I remember back then Nike paid 8% sales commission. So I knew cats that was down there at Nike back in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. They was making 40 grand a year part-time because it was that sweet back then. And you remember back then, if you didn't go to the store to buy the shoe, it wasn't no offer up East, East Bay. It was no eBay. It wasn't none of that. It was at the store, and that was it. So it was a real sweet lick to work. Oh, I know. <laughs> and by the time Nike tried to come get me another time when I was like 21, 22. And I turned them down again because at that time, I worked in City Hall full time. My two kids were small, and I was involved with Young Democrats. I'm traveling all over the country. Um, kind of attached to the Obama campaign, like a little bit, not like in the middle of it, but on the tail end of it. So, yeah, I didn't. Looking back, I should have went to Nike. I should have did it. But I'm satisfied with the political outcome because I've been able to work for the state. I work for the state now. Um, there's some things that I know that cops and lawyers don't even know because working in government is so layered. These people, they'll hide things. And it's right there in the open, but you don't know it. Like, even with this COVID stuff, people have no clue what they're indulged in. They have no clue whatsoever. Some things I can't talk about because I've signed, you know, NDAs and all of that. But 
we if we don't arm ourselves with this knowledge of policy and law, black folks are going to be left behind. And like I said, I've worked for City Hall. I've worked for Cook County. I've worked for the state. I've worked for Department of Corrections. I was a correctional officer. I've done I've done that. Um, I've worked for local Homeland Security, uh, all these different entities that I learned from. And uh, I never went to college for four years because I was always working. I'm glad I didn't because I would have racked up so much debt and I would have missed out on the real knowledge. Because even if you take a political science class at school, it cannot prepare you for being in real politics. I guarantee you. I don't care what prestigious university you go to, how much money it costs. Unless your professor was a, a city council member or a elected official, they cannot show you what it really means to be in politics. You got to be actually in it. And I'll argue that down with anybody. So that part I'm grateful for because, once again, it was the exposure that I couldn't get anywhere else, nowhere else. Um, I, I, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I like but what, go you ahead. Just, yeah. what you just said. You said instead of going to college and, and collecting a lot of debt, you gained a lot of knowledge by by just going out there and doing it. And I think sometimes people put, especially like, because I'm 35, so I'm not too much younger than you. So our parents, they pushed, the, oh, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. But I didn't even like school. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to college, but I'm not going for school. I'm going to have fun. Right. And I don't have a lot of debt like a lot of people, but some people have a lot of debt and they can't even do nothing with the degree or they didn't even finish school and they're years behind because they thought this piece of paper was going to get them somewhere. You went to the people that not necessarily what you wanted to do, but you've been doing it so long. You've been gaining knowledge by asking questions, being there, um, doing different jobs. And now, you know, a lot of stuff that people that go to school don't even know because it's not in the books. It's something you got to see is you got to experience racism or you got to experience whatever you got to experience. And that's how you learn things. People think going to school always gets you. Because if you think about school right now, when you're going through kindergarten through 12th grade, all you need to do is learn how to read and write. Right. Everything else you can figure out on your own or you can experience. Like I'm not against college. If my, if my kids say, well, my, my daughter, she's 16 and she, she wants to go to college. And I explain to her, go to college to get the knowledge to be your own boss. Don't go there to get some information and you just got this piece of paper and it really don't get you nowhere. And that's kind of like what you did. You you went to college. You just didn't go to a university. You went to Life University. Exactly. You were able to gain the knowledge that you able to see and know and all these different things because you went the, a different route. Everybody want to go. Let's go to this four-year school, but then when when you get out of school, no matter if you graduated or not, guess what? You Sally May is in them pockets. She's exactly. in the pockets. That's the thing. You're gonna spend eighty grand for when you graduate for fifty thousand dollars your job. <laughs> and it, I find it really it's like we still slaves because you can go to the bank when you turn eighteen years old, or Sally May or whoever with your daughter or your son, and you'll walk out of there with the financial money you need for school but if you go to that same institution to go get uh, a, 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 a property loan or business loan you can't get it it's it's crazy to me and like my daughter wants to go to school my son doesn't i told him i said hey when y'all turn 18 i'm gonna give y'all property why would i give you debt that makes no sense Ooh, i love it i I'm love gonna give you some it property. i'm gonna take i'm gonna 
I'm gonna take the debt out on my on my credit, and I'm gonna give you the residual. And I'd rather pay 20 years for a piece of property or 10 years than be paying 30 years for some doggone college. Man, in 40 years, colleges won't even be here no more. It's all this stuff gonna be online. Universities won't even be a thing. It'll be a thing of the past. Hey, I. I, I love I love that. Like you said, hey, when you turn 18, I'm going to give you some property. Because us, our age, our culture, our our parents, our the generation before us, when you turn 18, you go to school and you get out of my house. That ain't how it's supposed to go. Exactly. I love that you said that. And for me, my son, because my daughter is, um, she's older, she's not, she's like my stepdaughter, but doesn't it doesn't take away from anything with her. So with her the other day or a week ago, she was talking about stock. And I was like, okay, I don't know a whole bunch about it, but I know all these YouTube videos. I know these people I follow on Instagram. I sent her a video. She was able to get her own stock. So now, you know, she's figuring that out. That could be something that she got. uh, She's a junior. She might be able to figure out and, had a dollar amount that she wanted and be like, I don't know if I really want to go to school, but if she can, if she want to go to school, she might be able to pay for it herself. My son, I got him his own business. Uh, it's a clothing line. I put it in his name. It's me and him. So if anything ever happens to me, it's in his name. He still got it. And I don't think a lot of, I would say there's a lot of people that do, but a lot of people that come from the low ends, they don't see that. They don't understand. Like you're supposed to set your kids up for success, not, oh, you go to school and you get out of my house. Because think about that. When we was kids, oh, we 18, we got to get out. We don't know nothing about nothing. Life didn't beat us up as soon as we turned 18 and we thought we was grown. But with parents like you, parents like me, setting your kids up, putting them in the right in the right environment or the right mindset, that's going to help them in the long run so they ain't going through the struggles that we go through as 30, still figuring out life. It, we dang there, you know, you almost, some of us almost 40 or 40 and parents didn't, or they didn't utilize the resources that they had. We definitely have a lot more resources, but I just like that you, you said that, like, that makes me want to have to do something for my kids on their 18th birthday to help them in the long run instead of giving them debt. Exactly. Exactly. So yep. where are you, so you didn't told us you, you know, you did the politics, you learned a lot of stuff, you experienced things, you got your kids. Where are you at now? What have you uh, have you helped the community? Are you still working in the community? How are you? How are things going for you now? So I can't complain. Um, things are going good. Um, the bad stuff or the things that wasn't go- going right. That was my fault. But moving forward, things are going OK. I got the teenagers. Uh, I still work for the state now. I work in a division where we we audit we audit uh cemeteries and funeral homes. You know, there's a agency for everything. Mm-hmm. Um and like I told you, like I'm tired of cold. I'm moving out of Chicago when my kids graduate shortly after that. So about four or five years, about three, four years. I'm probably gonna go to Florida, somewhere warm. But um <laughs> I'm getting into real estate, like I said, properties, you know, it's kind of the thing. You gotta have some property. So I'm doing that. Uh, I got the podcast stuff stuff going. Um, like I told you, I always had a passion for retail and shoes. So I got that going on the side too. 
uh, I got an offer a page called License Apparel and Shoes, and uh, like people who still like wearing Jordans and stuff like that, I got that stuff authentic because of my past relationships. So a lot of times, you know, when that stuff sell out in the store, if it sell out online, you know, it's gonna be triple the price. Uh, my price is still gonna be reasonable. Uh, it ain't gonna be cheap, but it ain't gonna be no five hundred dollars either. So yeah, I got other some things I'm working on or whatever. Um, I'm not involved in politics as much anymore because I'm going to be honest with you. Some of these black politicians, they ain't really helping black young black people, man. They not like a few of them are, but they think because they gave you a $50,000 a job that that you, they personal slave, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like slavery just don't stop. It's just it's everywhere, man. It just don't stop. So, um, I'm not involved with politics politics anymore. Uh, I still work for the government just because it's just a, a sweet gig. Uh, but yeah. outside of that, I'm kind of doing my own thing right now. And I'm looking at economics. I'm looking at different ways to make money, and which was what I've always looked at. But now I'm investing my time for me and my kids, not for somebody else. Um, you take a place like Chicago where, uh, you know, Chicago has over 1,800 churches over 70% of them are in the black community. Where I live right now, I can throw a rock from where I'm sitting at right now, and that rock will hit seven churches within a four-block radius. There should not be that much economic strife and hopelessness in the black community with that many community organizations, churches. Churches were supposed to be the foundation of the black community. But once again, all that crap is is slavery. They've Religion has created more separatism than racism itself. How many times have some of y'all out there in the audience been behind on your light bill or been behind on something you were able to go to the church and get help with your light bill? Crickets. Right. Church ain't doing nothing. Like, they want you to put a collection plate and get your 10%, but they want you to pray for your problems. Stop. You know, and there's certain family I don't go around no more just because of that. It's like, Chicago got 1,800 churches. You go in the white community, you might have one, maybe two churches. And they're maybe not, you know, stuff goes on in the white community too, but I guarantee you that church is going to make sure that that community and that white community or whatever community that's in, they're going to be economically stable. Like, So uh, let, me not, like, let me not even cut you off because I got I to, got because when you were saying that, so I started going to a uh, all white church because this lady, a uh, black lady at my job invited me. And like you said, like I, I definitely have got help from a black church, but this white church, like I was going there, I was interested, you know, all that. I ended up, I ended up having a new car. My bills was, my rent was paid for the rest of my lease and they even paid off some debt just by me going there and being a participant. And even though like I didn't have a car at the time, me just showing up, they they looked out, and I and when I got the car, I'm like, this is a movie, this is fake. I ain't <laughs> never heard this, never seen this, and it wasn't like oh the car that the old old man had at the church that he didn't. No, it was a nice car, and I was like, what the heck? And I've got help from church. I you know my my pastor that I the church that I go to is black church, but it's multicultural. So I would say with even just that energy, having the multi-culture and the white culture, I've definitely received blessings in there rather than going to an all-black church. So I definitely understand personally where you're coming from when you say that, 
because I'm, I have a clothing line and I made a shirt, uh, a hoodie that said relationship over religion. Because that religion stuff, it's just crazy to me. And It's nonsense. It's slavery. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it really is. Because it's like, if you go to church, right, it say come as you are. If I want to come in my flip-flops, my fitted hat, my sweats and a t-shirt, I should be able to because I came to get the word from God, not from you, Sister Tree Tree, not from you, Deacon, not from you. I came to get it for myself. And maybe I don't got no shoes. Maybe I ain't got a hoodie or whatever. I'm supposed to a suit or whatever. And it's just crazy how people judge you. The most, the most judgmental people are church people. Exactly. And down. church and, is supposed to be wherever the need is. It don't have to be inside some fancy structure. So if there's a need on Pulaski Street, on the west side of Chicago, that's where church is going to be held at. That's how I look at church, right? Yes. And yeah, like you said, you went to the other church, and here they are, they're being fruitful and making sure that people that are in need got what they need. Ain't that crazy? It's not Listen, crazy. It's, 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 really, it's right. That's what God intended. But here you are, yeah. been around these black folks your whole life, and they ain't doing, doing nothing for you. Yeah, that's like I don't even under like you're making me like really, really look at it. I think this is the first time I've had a conversation like out in the open about this. Like it's just it's crazy. I just yeah. don't I just I just don't you don't understand it. It's like we black. We're supposed to be together, but we and and part of it is because of slavery and all the stuff that happened to us and we didn't never fix it or we didn't understand now we're understanding, but we're still at odds because of back in the day or oh, it's light skin versus dark skin or, oh, because I, I struggled. I had to eat out of this or my family, it, it went rough. That just means your parents didn't do what they were supposed to. That don't mean like you better, like your story better than mine because I didn't start off struggling. Like right. just because, you know, like that's the craziest thing about us. And then you could go somewhere, another culture, you see them, they rocking together. When you go to the gas, the marathons, but you see the family. You didn't seen the son grow up. The son like your cousin, because uh, you seen him grow up. He was a cash wrestler. He running the gas station. We can't do that. And then, like you said, it's a problem or the deaths and the killings. Where the church at? Like we don't exactly. need you to come and preach to us. No, just come and show us that you're a real human being. And how can we work together with y'all? Like, instead of y'all, whoa, this is what, oh, the, no, no, reach the people how you need to reach the people. Don't reach the people how you think you need to reach the people. And that's because a lot of the churches, it's churches in the community, but the community, the church in the community. Exactly. They just, they just got a building in there. <laughs> they just got a building in, in the area, and they like, oh, yeah, we got a church on, on the west side of Chicago, but y'all ain't did nothing. Nothing. Yeah, they had a fish fryer. Nothing, nothing to help the community. But you want us to come into your church and do all these things for your church? No, nah, it don't work like that. And I'm glad that there's other people that think like that and will say it out loud. Because sometimes people are scared to say it, like yeah. about about our church. Like religion is is I don't, it's made up. It's not even like it. It doesn't even make sense to make it real. Like to go off this religion and all these different things that why am I listening to you? What have you done in life? Oh, cause you, you went to the, 
you went to the church school. I'm supposed to just listen to you. Nah, you, you, because most of the church, never mind. I ain't even going to go into uh, what the church do. <laughs> I ain't, I'll be on here too long, but I definitely glad someone else understands that. And then I'm glad you understand like the government part of it. Like we see the TV, you know, we watch, um, you know, the shows and you kind of see it, but when you, actually live it you get to see and you like man i don't know this ain't really this ain't really what it's supposed to be and it's hard to make changes because everybody not on board so um with with that what is uh what's your podcast about like what what when people listen to your podcast i got the link you know i had a link and everything what are they what are they getting from your podcast? Because you have a lot of information. Uh, you you similar sounds similar to me, but what are they getting from your podcast? From my podcast, I cover an array of subjects, and I hate to be kind of all over the place, but I will be doing a disservice to the people that look like me, that are my in my age bracket, if I didn't share some of the stuff that I've ascertained over all these years. So. I've been able to rub elbows and be in the back rooms of places where I was the only young black kid in there, right? The job I got now, where I work at right now, in my little small department, I'm the only young black guy there, right? So my podcast is about the information, right? That's first and foremost. It's about the information that you might not learn elsewhere. That's what I'm about off the top. Then my YouTube channel is the same thing, but with the YouTube channel, I like to visually uh, people who are artists, and not necessarily you no know, rap artists, but people who just artists in their own right. You know, you can be an artist by, you know, being a good uh, reader or a good typist. You know, so I like to give people that exposure who might not get that exposure elsewhere. But I'm about the information and. The information is not being shared with you like how it should be. And I'll give you an example of that. And like I said, you know, I don't like to get in those COVID arguments. I don't even talk about that stuff, but I'm just, I'm just how you look, just look at this. If COVID is supposed to be about the health and welfare or safety of people, to me, this should have been done already. It's taken entirely too long, right? It's too mm -hmm. much crap going on. And so the reason why I say that is. If it's supposed to be about the health and welfare of people, why is the COVID vaccine on the stock market? And mm. I bought it when Moderna opened last year, opened at $52 a share. Now it's over almost $400, about $350. So if it's supposed to be about getting, getting out of this pandemic and of the health and safety of the people, it shouldn't be about money. Mm. It shouldn't be about money. So people can't even see that. They so in a rush. Like I said, if you want to get the shot, cool. That's your thing. You know, I work for the government. I ain't even get one. You know, it's, <laughs> it's ways around it. But you're going to put some in your arm. We've been putting foreign substances in our body for years, black people. You're going to go get a shot. They're going to pay you for a shot. But all the white boys and all the Republicans and white supremacists are like, nah, we ain't getting no shot. We're going to make some money off this shit. They on the stock market. Why you get the shot? Wow. <laughs> wow. So with that being said, yeah, 
make sure y'all tune in to his YouTube and his podcast. That's the kind of information we need. Like, I'm sitting over here like, hold on, ain't nobody know that? Like, I, it ain't like I just, like, I still, you know, around the way, hang out with my homies or whatever. But I know some people, and ain't nobody even mentioned, like, nobody know that? Like, that's crazy. That and you wouldn't know that if you weren't in the rooms or if you weren't if if you were when you were 16, if you would have just been like, oh, I'll skip this, I'm gonna take the uh I'm gonna take the plea, I'm gonna do whatever they stay, they tell me to do, but you went about it your own way. You said, Let me let me let me do a little research. Mm-hmm. Wasn't for that, for you getting out of that, not getting in major trouble, you might not have had that's you might not have had that job. They're like, Oh no, we can't hire you. Oh, you you done for it. Yep. Since you weren't and you were able to, now you see and learn different stuff that can help your people, which is very powerful. And it's not like, oh, he coming up with some crap. No, it's it's actual stuff like These that. Facts. Like, that I got paperwork for all of this. I don't just talk. <laughs> no, that is like mind blowing. That the vaccine is on the stock market. And they you look at the stock quote up right now. I think Moderna stock quote is MDRA. Look it up right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that. <laughs> hey, so it's people making bank off that because everybody want to get the vaccine. You can't go to a concert. You can't go to uh, football, basketball. They are. Ma- oh, my goodness. It's a game. It's all a game. And you, when you think about it, I'm going to say this last thing. When you really think about it, slavery was psychological warfare. Right. Which is still going on right now. Um, drugs were chemical warfare, right? So if slavery was psychological warfare and drugs were chemical warfare, the food has been part of chemical warfare. These different chemicals and medicines is biological warfare. It's all the same. It's a trifecta. It's all the same thing. Psychological, chemical, biological. That's all it is. Yep. And, and, and a lot of people like that's why like that's why I don't really get into all the ruah and all that. We we ain't gonna, I'm not gonna stick on the subject, but it's just you just can't. But then now I'm about to be looking up. I'm about to be researching. Like, hold on, what what, what is real? What's really going on here? Don't because, get into no arguments. Make your money. And when people say you make money, and be like, how you do that? Like, why you was over there doing that? This is what I was doing. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. So, um, do you have any other ways people can reach out to you besides um, your podcast or your YouTube channel? Do you have anything else going on? Uh, so basically, right now, like I said, YouTube is uh, at In Perspective TV, uh, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google is a daily read podcast. I'm on Facebook as Jai Moore. Um, I don't have an IG page right now. I shut that down just because I'm working on some other stuff. But right now, those three places, I'm actually on YouTube more than anything. And you can send me, you can comment on some on YouTube and I'll see it, you know. So uh, I'm very accessible. And then if it's something that you, you know, got a question about or something you want me to help you out with and it's really robust, I'm there. I got you. Um, I'm very accessible. Uh, like I said, I'm on Facebook. That's what I got working on. I'm working on right now. There's some other stuff in the works too, because I'm all about, you know, information. And I'm all about really just trying to build up the black family. And it don't got to be my family. It could be somebody else's family, as long as I'm able to help. So 
between those three platforms, you can you I'm very accessible. And I definitely will have the links. And like he said, he's accessible. So I had a last minute cancellation. I went to a, um, a podcasting group. He's the first person to wrote me. So I'm like, bet he own it. And we we conversed, you know, talked a little bit before this and we're here now. So I, I thank you um, for because I definitely didn't want to have to push back my date. I've been, you know, I just restarted my podcast because I had um, had to rebrand it and I wanted to stay on schedule. So I thank you for being accessible and being able to uh, be a last minute um, slide in and just being able to add value like I. I like I read your bio, you know, I'm like, okay, definitely wasn't expecting the information, not just the part that we just heard, but just the whole, the whole thing, like, and it's going to help some young people, because there's a lot of young people that's teenagers going through one foot in and one foot out, like, you gotta, you gotta know what, you gotta know what you want to do in your life, and you gotta go for it yourself, you know, like, like you said earlier, your family, they, oh, well, you know, you just gonna be a statistic, so you know we'll see you when you when we see you. You know we're still here to support you, but go ahead and you know take that take that uh, take that guiltiness. And it's like ah no, I ain't want that. So I appreciate you for dropping the knowledge. Uh, I don't know exactly what I want to name it yet because I usually go off of something that somebody said. It's a couple things on here. I might have to re-listen to it before I actually name it. Um, you're are you a Bears fan? I am a Chicago fan. I'm just pissed off at the Bears right now because they match okay. sucks. <laughs> okay. All right. I just I just thought about that. Um only thing I got to say, I know you're gonna have a comeback because we just lost last week for this weekend. But go pack go. You know, I'm a pack <laughs> fan. <laughs> you know, y'all, y'all, y'all could talk about us in the playoffs, but y'all don't never make it. But we're we're not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna do you like that. <laughs> A cool dude. I'm not gonna talk my trash, but again, I appreciate you. I will have all your all his links um, in the descriptions where you can reach out to him. Go check out the podcast. Go check out the YouTube channel. This is a very wise guy, and he's giving out the information, and he's giving it to where we can understand it. Sometimes people get information and they want to act a certain way or try to present it a certain way. The guy, the the guy like next door, you're sitting on your porch, you're talking to him, drinking your coffee, you're going to get your information and information that can actually help you and make you think. Because I'm definitely about to get off here and do some research and check some stuff out because that's just that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, What is. Like not a quote of the day, but what's some tips you could give some younger people or just people because we're still young. Um, we're under 40. Not meaning that if you're 40, you're old, but um, for a young, for the younger generation, the upper coming generation, maybe your kids age, 20, 25, what's some, what's some type of thing they can take away from what you got to say to them? Well, um, I tell young people, no matter what you're doing, be calculated and look at the totality of the circumstances. I don't care what it is. And when you do those two things, um, you'll be put in a good position to be very successful no matter what you're doing. So be calculated and look at the totality of the circumstances. I love it. So I think I got the name. It's going to be Be Calculated. Um, I appreciate you again, sir. I thank you uh, for just showing up because sometimes 
all it takes is someone just to show up and show that they support what you're doing. We don't know each other from a can of paint, but this was a great conversation. Um, you can reach me on any podcast platform, Underdog Talk, email Underdog Talk Podcast. If you want to be on the show, if you know somebody, if you got any suggestions, um, we're on IG, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, Underdog Talk Podcast. Again, I thank you, Mr. Uh, Moore, for being on the show. And like my mom say, peace, one love. <laughs>